0: Hey, we are in week five of a series that we're calling More Than Minor, and over the last several weeks, we've been diving into the minor prophets, which are generally um, viewed as pretty intense books of the Bible. And so oftentimes, if you're going to read your Bible that day and you land on a minor prophet... Uh, I have been guilty, and I'm sure some of you have been in in choosing another devotion that day. Uh, uh, but uh, what I want you to know is that actually, if you were to understand the background and what the Lord is saying and who He's talking to, you'd understand that this is actually a really uh, beautiful thing. What's happening in these books? The minor prophets, uh, there's 12 of them. They're 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 not minor because they are less than the major prophets. They're just smaller. And I like smaller. I understand smaller. Uh, I understand. Uh, I can think more clearly in in when you talk less. And anyways, so uh, we're gonna dive into this. We've covered so far uh, four other books. We did. What did we do? We did Jonah. We did Joel. We did Haggai. And Hosea, right? Yeah. And so um, this is going to be the last one that we do. Um, but what's kind of neat is next week is going to be one of my favorite services of the year. Uh, next week is going to be like part two of this lesson. Um, we're going to do communion next week and uh, and have acoustic worship. And it's going to be a really wonderful time to just worship the Lord and celebrate all the things that God's doing in our life. But it's really uh, like a, a Part two of this message, and so I I, I think you're going to enjoy it. Anyways, uh, today we're going to talk about the book of Malachi, and uh, Malachi is a is a complicated message. In fact, uh, many of these books I've had to listen to uh, ten or twelve times, uh, and I didn't understand necessarily why God wanted me to do this lesson. And the 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 message is kind of heavy, um, and so. Clarity came to me actually probably on like Thursday of this week after knowing I was going to do this for a full month. And Why? So let's pray, and I'll tell you why. Hey, Jesus. Whew, we love you. And I need you to help. Amen. Amen. We're going to jump into the book of Malachi. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your phones, you're going to, you're going to want this today. These are, we're just reading a lot of the scripture. There's four chapters in here. And I'm going to start off with Malachi chapter 1, verse 2. And the Lord says, through Malachi, I have always loved you, says the Lord. But you retort, how have you loved us? Let me just stop there how have you loved us this is god's people asking god lord how explain that to me how have you loved us i just want you to know that this book is going to come across as a really confusing book if you don't understand that everything written in this is coming out of this verse when we as people of god look at god's commands and not understanding that they are loving now, they are designed to protect you, to cover you, to bless you. Everything can be really confusing. And so I would just stop. I've, I've seen many people in the body of Christ in seasons where you've asked the Lord, God, are you even with me? God, do you love me? Have you abandoned me? Have you led me all this way to drop me on my head now? Have you ever been in a season where you've had to ask God, have you loved me? Do you love me? This morning we're worshiping and I'm, I'm hearing that song uh, that, that Rachel and Deb were singing. Deb was singing it and she, I just want to move your heart. I just want to move your heart. I just want to move your heart. And I'm, I'm learning that this whole book is going to open that up. How has God loved you? In your life, can you think of the ways that God has covered you? Because it's important that you in your life don't have a head knowledge of God's love, but you have a heart knowledge. Because everything is different when it comes through experience. When it comes from, I know and I've experienced the love and I've, I've been moved and I've seen his provision and I've seen his redemption and I've seen his protection and I've, I've seen his faithfulness and I, I've experienced his presence and I want, I know that I know that I know that God loves me and now everything else and all the theologies and things that I believe and all the circumstances that I enter into are changed when I understand that he loves me. But Israel is asking right now, God, how? How did you love me? Isn't that powerful? I love that the, the, the scripture is not afraid to ask questions. And I love that the scripture is not afraid for, to let us know that other people ask questions, that you're not alone if you're asking questions today. But the Lord is going to answer some things, and he's going to confront some things here in Malachi. And it all stems from this lack of understanding that Israel is having right now, forgetting that God has loved you. So the Lord answers in verse two, I have always loved you, but you retort, really, how have you loved us? This is how I've shown my love for you. I loved your ancestor, Jacob. Let me just stop there. I loved your ancestor, Jacob. He would say that Esau, he rejected, but Jacob, he loved. And so what the Lord is going to say over Israel is, don't you get it? You're my son and daughter. The very fact that you're able to hear me talk today should identify to you, you never deserved me. I adopted you. I chose you. I picked you. Jacob was not the the chosen one. I don't know if you know, uh, going all the way back to Genesis, the story of Jacob and Esau. But the Lord is saying, Israel, I adopted you. Can't you see that I've always been with you, and I've always provided for you, and I've always chosen you. And I love that message of adoption, and it's in that concept that today I realize that there is so many more people that probably would be more qualified to be a a pastor or a, a speaker or a son and daughter. Like, I often in my own life wonder, God, why did you save me There are so many other people that would be more qualified, that would be more steadfast, that would be probably better Christians. But for some reason, you awoke awoke in my heart, and I'm forever grateful for that. Today, if you don't understand that God loves you, you're going to miss a lot of points. So this whole book is a conversation of of the Lord uh, uh, speaking to Israel, and Israel questioning God. And I don't know what happens in your life. Wow, let me show you some things. This is going to be a book that defines things that God loves. And so if you're interested in learning, God, what moves your heart, this is a great book to understand the things that God loves. And this is going to be a book where God confronts the things he despises. And so if you want to know what offends God, you're going to find it right here. So people that are learning, if you, if you want to know who the Lord is or what moves him, this is a great place to go. I didn't ask the worship team to pick this song, a song today. They just did it, and it was kind of worked hand in hand with everything that God's doing in my life. So the book of Malachi is going to take place 100 years after the temple would finally be rebuilt. So you need to understand that most of the Old Testament is the journey for the people of Israel to get their promised land, and build their temple so that God can be with his people And when they rebelled that temple was destroyed and they were in exile until that they would return to the Lord Rebuild that temple And so what's really wild is this is the last book in the Old Testament 100 years after they would rebuild the temple and things have already gone Sideways for the people of Israel. They've already rejected the Lord And it's only been a hundred years. And I just want you to know why that's ironic is because we do the same thing. You need to know that our heart is so catering to this world. It's so difficult to set your heart to love the Lord. And this is going to be a story about that. So after this book, 300 years later, Jesus is going to come And fix everything that the Israelites can't fix. Are you with me? Let's jump into this. All because Jesus loves us. Well, one of the first things in this conversation that would happen between the God's people and Israel, one of the things that the Lord really rejects, he's going to confront first in Israel. And it's going to be because they have forgotten that God loves him. When you forget that people love you, you devalue them. This is what's gonna happen as the Lord's confronting some sin in their lives. In verse six, a son honors his father, and a slave would his master. And if I am a father, where is the honor due to me? Whew. And the respect that I deserve. You've shown contempt for my name. But you ask, have we ever shown contempt for your name? Let me just stop there for a second. I love this book because I wonder what happens when you're confronted by people that you love about things that you're doing that maybe hurts them. Are you good at this? How defensive do you get? And so Israel is really chomping back at the Lord again and again and again in this book because they really don't like that the Lord is questioning them but who has more, a better perspective than the Lord about what's out of order in your life? And so he'd say, where's the honor that's due? Where's the respect that's due? And they'd say, well, how did we ever show contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. And then they ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices, Lord? Will you defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? Isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled or have diseases? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of the heaven's armies. Whew. I'm going to jump down here to uh, verse 13, and then he says this. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured or lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? In this passage, none of us would have ever brought a crippled animal to the Lord, right? We would, so what's happening in their culture is they've got like sheep and animals and, and in order for them to get right with the Lord, they offer an animal as a sacrifice to atone for their sins. And so as they have all these sheep, one falls down and breaks his leg. What am I gonna do with that animal? I wanna waste it. Well, let's not waste it. I know what we'll do. We'll use that one as a sacrifice for the Lord and then we'll use the rest of the sheep to, to build up our, our infrastructure, you know? We, don't, we can't use that one anyway, so we'll give it to the Lord. It's an offering because we love him so much. I know that none of us would have ever done anything like that. I had a story a long time ago. I was on a missions field. I went on a trip with, with my boy Anthony, and uh, we, we, uh, we, we met this missionary. His name was Buck. Buck cruise. And he had been traveling all through uh, Prague and Czechoslovakia and all of the like, like, the Czech countries. And we were in Bulgaria with him. And he was telling us that um, he had adopted a son named Tyler. And Tyler was born with a heart defect. And the doctor said that he wasn't going to live to see two years old, uh, but he did. Um, he lived to see four actually. And then he lived to see six and he was now gonna, about to be nine years old. Uh, and Tyler's life cost Buck hundreds of thousands of dollars. He actually used to be very wealthy. And since then, well, he's a missionary also. So he's mostly poor at this point in his life, you know. And uh, But uh, Tyler's life cost him everything. But Tyler had a really unique heart. And he always... Um, the doctor had told Tyler uh, Buck right before he went on this trip that his son was, wouldn't be here when he got back. And when he decided not to go on the trip, his son Tyler said, Daddy, there's people that are dying and going to hell. You have to go on this trip. You know, Tyler's heart just loved Jesus and wanted to do great things for him. In fact, most of Tyler's life, he collected gifts that he would send with his dad overseas to give as gifts to kids as, so that his father can preach the gospel. And his son would collect matchbox cars. And uh, so he had thousands of matchbox cars that he would collect, and he would box them up. And uh, as Buck would go into his son's room every now and again, he would have boxes in the corner, and Buck would try to take some of the boxes, and his son would say, No, Dad, you can't take those ones. You have to take these boxes over here. And he'd open the box, and he'd see thousands of cars in some of these boxes. And his son would say, No, Dad, you can't take those ones. Those ones people gave us, they were already used. And his son's like, yeah, but Buck's like, yeah, but look, we could do so much with these. And he said, no, dad, I want the kids, when they open the box, that they would see a brand new box, that they would know that it was special, that no one else had ever played with this box, that it was just for them. And Buck checked his heart and realized, oh man, son, you have thousands of things that you can give, but you don't want to give them because they've already been used. He understood that that was pure worship. And I think in our life, how often have we been guilty of tipping God? Giving our leftovers. I wonder, does, what is our, does our, how often have, has our worship been a sacrifice to us? How often has it made us uncomfortable so that the Lord would receive honor or glory? And these are the kind of things that honors the Lord and the people of Israel are kind of missing it. How have we really defiled you? How have we shown contempt? How have we... Lord's like, really? Well, I'll show you. I'm getting your leftovers. Not your best. Ooh, is that convicting or what? It gets me right in the getter. Okay, let me keep going. So he would go on. And uh, and so then the Lord really comes after the priests, which I don't really like this a whole lot. I, I, I would like to skip over because I would be considered an Old Testament priest, you know, pastor, right? That's my job. I love people, get people closer to Jesus. And he says, listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's armies, or I will bring a terrible curse against you and I will curse even... The blessings you receive, indeed, I've already cursed them because you have not taken my warning to heart. Because you've not taken my warning to heart. This is always what God's trying to get to is our heart because this is a love story. And what we're realizing is that often we can miss this thing in pursuit of the Lord. So you think that these priests... I mean, they've given their life over to serve the Lord. How can they possibly be missing it? Well, let me show you. He says in verse 8, But you priests have left God's paths. Your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin, and you've corrupted the covenant that I've made with the Levites. What's happening in in this time, the people, the priests, have actually, uh, they're going, they're pursuing the wealthy. They're pursuing and trying to entertain the people and tell them the things that they want to hear. So if the wealthy says, you know, I really can't give because I've got this problem. This guy owes me money and he won't give it to me. And if, if he would just give me the money that I could give all these things to you, the, 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 the priests are teaching these guys that it's okay. You should sue him. You should do whatever it takes. You should go after him. You should get that money. And they're, they're, they're making teachings that are actually creating more controversy. They're, 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 if, if a wealthy man comes and says, you know, my wife just doesn't pursue me anymore, or you should leave her. You should divorce that lady. She's giving you nothing but a headache. You should leave her. And what he's saying is that the teachings that are now happening that are coming from the priests that are designed to make it so that people uh, draw closer to the Lord are actually causing people to, to be farther. Your instructions in verse 8 uh, have caused many people to stumble and you have corrupted the covenant that I made with the Levites. He says, he says, the, the priest's words, uh, the lips from the priest should preserve knowledge of God and they should go, go to him for instruction. But the, pri- the priest is a messenger of the Lord's armies. And what we're doing is we're taking it and just making it easier and telling people what they want to hear. But this is a confrontational message because if you want to know what God loves, what he loves, he loves truth. He, he doesn't. Can you imagine if if you were in counseling with somebody and the counselor would just tell you whatever you wanted to hear to to make you feel good, but not do anything to actually help the relationship? I think many of us, our relationships have gone sideways with the Lord and we don't know why. And it's because there's there's not a God-fearing relationship Relationship anymore there's not a, a we don't have to alter our lives to line up with God's word, and so you can just be on the path that you want but what the Lord is saying there are things that I love and there are things that I despise and I want you to know and understand the difference so he's upset with the priests and as we would go on we'd, we'd find this one and this this is pretty special he uh, he comes after husbands I don't, I want you to know why he would come after husbands. Statistically speaking, if there is a man of God within a household, more than 90% of the household would love the Lord. We live in a culture where men lose their voice, let women do what they want, and guys find other things to pursue instead of pursuing their kids or their wives. And we entertain ourselves with hobbies or other people. This is a dangerous thing, and the Lord's about to go after it here. Are you guys still with me? Am I being mean to everyone? Do you still like me? My handsome guy. This is, you guys really love the pastor? Cool. It's, it's Pastor Appreciation Day or something like that. That's what they said. You have to like me, at least today. So um, uh, it's scriptural, I think. Verse 11 in, in chapter 2, Judah has been unfaithful and detestable has, and, and done an, an, a detestable thing. Has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. And he says, You cry out, why? Why have you been, why are you saying, God, I've been unfaithful? Why have you, why are you saying that I've been unfaithful? Well, I'll tell you why, the Lord says, because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young you have been faith. now notice he's addressing the dude you have been unfaithful to her though she remained your faithful partner the wife of your marriage vows so what are some of the things that god loves what are some of the things that god does not love well here it is in verse 15 has not the one god made you you belong to him in your body and in your spirit And what does one God seek? He seeks godly offspring. Can I just stop for a second and make sure you know the Lord loves a godly family. And we have responsibility. And so if some of you ladies are here pursuing someone, uh, a, a dude, if you don't see him as righteous, get out. Because if it's not going to lead you closer to the Lord, then he's not doing what God's calling him to do. And so he wants a godly heritage, a godly offspring. So be on your guard and, and do not be unfaithful to your wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect says the Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. And so what, I, what I'm hearing the Lord is saying is that the man that is abusive to his wife by not doing what God's called him to do, he's, he's being unfaithful, he's actually being abusive. And I, I'm like, whoa, that seems harsh, Lord. Um, but the Lord understands the heartache that's being done to the wife and to the kids and to the grandkids, the questions that's being asked because we weren't responsible to do what we said we were gonna do. Amen? I'm going to go. I'm just going to stop on that for a second. Um, I think one of the things that we should take more seriously than anything in our life is if you have people that you're responsible to love, that you ask yourself, how am I doing? And you ask them how you're doing. And let them grade you. How am I doing leading in my home? How am I doing leading in my family? How am I doing leading in my connect group? How am I doing leading in my job? I would hate to be a good pastor and a bad dad. The Lord's going to deal with that here in the book of Malachi. And this, this book is, is, is important, and I'm going to show you why. It, it tells a bigger story in a minute. I'm going to get, there. I'm going to get you there. And then in chapter 3 we find the Lord coming at Israel again and them questioning, him questioning them. You still with me? This can be kind of boring. It's going to come around, I promise. I think so anyways. In verse seven, ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned at my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let me just stop there for a second. All of these minor prophets would have one theme. Return to the lord. They were all written for the purpose of making sure that our heart comes back To jesus comes back to what god loves the most and I just wonder If you were made for him You're not going to find fulfillment outside of him. How are you doing with that? And so the lord is saying I want you to come back to me with all of your heart But you ask how can we return when we have never gone away? Now, let me just stop there. This is after he's already confronted them four or five other times. And they're still going, we didn't do nothing wrong. This, oh, man, I just, we do this sometimes. We go into self-defense mechanism mode. Some people cheat God, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me in the tithes and offerings due to me. Let me just stop there in verse 8. The reason why this is important is because the Lord did everything he could to get the temple back up and going so that he can have a dwelling place for the people of Israel. And it's already been 100 years, and the people spent all of their time and energy like getting it back up and going. And now that it's the, the temple's back up and going, they're not doing anything to maintain it. And and there's supposed to be things that they're supposed to be fixing. They need new trees. They need new this. There's maintenance news. And then he wants there to be goods that the poor can be fed. So that when unbelievers come from all around the nations, there's enough riches there to provide. And he's saying, you have literally cheated me of your tithes and offerings. Time out. Our church is doing really good in this area. So this, traditionally, this verse gets preached when like people are not doing good with their tithes and offerings. Thank you that you guys are already doing that. This is not what I'm saying. We have good husbands. We have people paying tithes. We're already in a good place. This is not, I'm not taking an offering at this point, making you guys, um, but he said, you've cheated me. And I don't know where you're at in your tithes and offerings, but you'll know. But the, the Lord takes this personal. And he says, you're under a curse. The whole nation has been cheating me. Let me just stop there. You can ask yourself. There, there's, there's, someone said once, there's two ways I could tell what you love. When you show me your schedule and you show me your checkbook, I could tell you where all your priorities are in your life. How do you love God? Because we place a great value on the finances that we have. Is God involved in your finances? Have you cut him in? Saying, God, like, I love you with all of my money. He's not asking for 10%. Now, a tithe means 10%. Let me just make sure you know that's Old Testament. The Lord is actually asking, if we look at Jesus' words, for 100% of your finances. So, I need your bank account today. And uh, just kidding, we're not one of those people. Worship means, God, you have everything of mine. And I'll manage it according to the way you're telling me to. Does that make sense? And I love this because some of you are terrified to start tithing and start trusting God. But the Lord would say, bring all your tithes into the storehouse so there would be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lords of Heaven Army, I will open the heavens, the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in, try it, and put me to the test. This is the only time in all of the Bible where God says, test me. So if you're not currently tithing, i double-dog dare you to tithe. I mean, I I don't know. Cool. I'm going to keep moving on. The tithe wasn't... Remember, let me just say this before we move on. The Lord wasn't saying, tithe so that you return to me. He's saying, I want you to return to me. And they're saying, we never left. And all he's doing is showing them a reflection of their heart. He doesn't need your money. He owns everything. (laughs) You just need to let go of things that your heart is attached to so that he can move in your life. That's why he's asking you to tithe. Because you love things you shouldn't love. In verse 16, I'm going to try to start landing this thing. And then he said, um, chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. Let me stop there. Do you hear that? Those that feared the Lord. It's really good to fear the Lord, guys. It's really good to fear the Lord, guys. Let me re-say it again. It's really good to fear the Lord. Like, if there's one thing you're going to fear on this earth, it probably should be the Lord. In his presence, uh, uh, and so the, the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. In verse 17, they will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And on that day, when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. And I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those that serve God and between those that don't. I just love God saying, when you put me first, I will show the world what's in your heart. I will show the world how blessed you are when you're righteous. And that's something that is a beautiful promise that the Lord is not just making to me today, but he's making to you. I want the world to know that I'm different. I want the world to know that I love differently and that I give differently and I have different priorities in my life than other people do. I'm going to say no to certain things because I care about God more in my life. We just signed our son up for baseball to be on this big travel ball team and go to New York and do all these great things. And the coach, first thing he said is, Hey, the schedule's going to be really crazy. And I said, Well, if it is, you just got to know you probably shouldn't pick us because we're going to be at church on Sundays. Because that's what we value. and Mike is like the best in the league, so they wanted him to be on the team. He was first picked. And I was like, yeah, that's my man. I so, hey, man, uh, this is what we value more than anything. And we want the world to know that we're righteous. Jesus first. We care about being in the house of God. We care about being in the presence of God. We care about talking about the things that God loves together and celebrating those victories. We care about seeing water baptism today. We care about seeing Jesus move among us. I say all that, all of this stuff To tell you all these things that God loves he, he, he wants you to return to him And use your finances if need be He wants you to make sure that there are faithful husbands In the house of God he, he wants to make sure that you understand That priest's job is to confront people And be honest and speak truth to people He wants to make sure that there's respect And honor in our worship The reason why all of this is happening in Malachi is because the Lord sees already 100 years after the temple's been rebuilt, after they got out of exile, that they can't do this. And so he decides, this is the last book in the the Jewish books here, because he already knows he's going to have to destroy this temple. He already knows that this is not going to work in the heart of man. He already knows that the only way that man is going to get this right is if Jesus does it for us. And so, how have you loved us, God? Well, I'm going to have to show you how I love you. I'm going to have to send my son for you. And they don't understand what, what the value of sacrifice is, right? In, the, in, the, in chapter 1, they're, they're, they're giving crippled animals, and, and God's going to have to show them how much he loves them. I'm going to give you the best Sacrifice. Oh, it's so awesome. This is such a prophetic book to define who Jesus is and what the Son of God is supposed to look like. I'm going to give you my very best. And the priests weren't going to be ever able to do their jobs. They were always going to have wickedness in their heart. And the Lord says, don't worry. I'm going to be a priest that brings you back to me. You won't have to go to man. You can come right to me. And then there's, there's unfaithful husbands, and the Lord is trying to say through the book of Malachi, don't worry, man will always be unfaithful. I will show you what a bridegroom looks like. Whew, man, this is so powerful. And he's gonna show them, hey, I need you to return to me with, with, all of your, with all of your tithe. And we'd see Jesus is saying, it's not about money. It's all about your heart. I'm gonna fulfill all these things that you simply can't fulfill. And then I'm gonna tear this temple down. And so in 300 years, Jesus comes. And in 350 years, he destroyed the temple for it never again to be rebuilt. And Israel to this day is still trying to rebuild the temple to figure out how to make sacrifices to get right with God. And it was all only fulfilled by Jesus. And I just want you to know the Lord is going to confront some things that we're doing out of order. But there's no way that you can possibly even get it right on your own. It was, we were all designed to be imperfect So that we can lean on the one who is perfect. Rachel would you come? It's water baptism Sunday. And um, I just. I find this message to be really. um, Discouraging if I didn't realize the timeline. Of where it was right after the temple was built. And that now the Lord is already trying to reset the genealogy order. So that Jesus can come and fulfill everything. I want you to know how much God does love you. He loved you so much that he would give his son. And some of you are asking the question, but God, how did you love me? I want this in my life. If you would just do this, God, then I would know you love me. And I I want you to know that if if you understood that God gave his very best for you, if that's not enough, I, I don't know what you're looking for. I think you're looking for things that are only gonna end up ultimately hurting you. Would you all do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a second? I believe that there's many people here today that um, if we're honest, we're looking for other things. We're looking for riches. We're seeking love. We're trying to find fulfillment. We're trying to find healing and wholeness. And we're doing it all in the wrong places. I just believe that Jesus is the answer. And I know this because he said to Israel, I adopted you. How did you love me? I chose you. I picked you first. The very reason why you can hear my voice is because I love you. I have a plan for your life. And I need you to turn from some of the things you're doing and return to me. I need you to come to me. I need you to know that I am the fulfillment of everything in your life.